During the time of our Lord Jesus' earthly ministry, we see that topics like marriage and divorce were a matter of debate and of error. In a similar passage in one of the other Gospels, the question posed to him reveals a debate over for what reason could a husband divorce his wife? Could it be for just any reason or it have to be a serious one? And here, the Pharisees clearly are trying to get him into trouble. They're testing him, they're trying to trap him and get him to say something one way or the other that will decrease the crowd's high opinion of him. There was an error in debate in that time, and there is error in debate in our own time. As we, it, sense, it seems that our society's understanding of marriage gets further and further away from God's plan through things like the prevalence of divorce, through even an increasing confusion over what it means to be man and woman. Or as our Holy Father Pope Francis observed in his homily a few hours ago in Rome at this same mass, that the consumerist throwaway culture that so easily disposes of persons and things pulls people away from marriage or of living it out properly and tends to force us right back into that original solitude, that loneliness, that as we heard in the first reading, marriage was meant to counteract. We heard that confronted by the error and the questions of his time, our Lord Jesus did not enter directly into that debate, but instead went back and went back to the beginning. As he said, no, let's leave these behind and go back to what was God's purpose in the first place. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so we again look with the eyes of our heart and our minds upon this truth that our Lord Jesus proclaimed and that we pass on. That in creation, in the natural order, God made human beings male and female, equal in human dignity, so that Adam could exclaim about Eve, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Equal in dignity but different in a complementary way, in a way that would enable the union, the interpersonal joining of man and woman as husband and wife, in a way that would enable this mutual self-gift, each giving their complete selves to the other and having themselves received in love and receiving the other in turn. And this love being fruitful, in a way that, among other things, it is our best picture of what we can see with our eyes, of what the perfect loving relationships between the persons in the Trinity eternally have been. This is what it is in creation, meant to be lifelong and total and fruitful and faithful, and anyone by use of reason and observation and experience can discover this truth. 
But then our Lord Jesus came and raised this above this great natural level to a higher level. Raising and strengthening marriage to the level of the sacraments between two baptized. And in the relationship between husband and wife, now we also see the image of the perfect love between Christ and the church. Christ, who lowered himself and poured out every drop of his blood out of love for his church to make us, his bride, holy and beautiful. And we not only see this in marriage, but it then becomes an instrument of grace in the lives of husband and wife and of the children, indeed, of every one of us that looks upon a holy Christian marriage. This, this is the truth. This is the beautiful and glorious truth and how good it is to be reminded of it. And yet, as we might expect, knowing Pope Francis, he would urge us in his homily this morning to remember that we have to reach out and help all those who are having difficulties and falling short of this goal of marriage or, or even not reaching it at all. Like a field hospital helping the wounded. And there are wounds in marriage, aren't there? Because the spiritual battle that our Lord Jesus wages against sin also takes place in marriage. From the beginning, from that first sin, entered into marriage elements of accusation, destructive desire, manipulation, lies, control. Our Lord Jesus wants to act within spouses, and within marriage to win that battle so that in each of us and in each of our marriages these may be overcome these may be overcome and marriage itself may be the way in which we overcome the evil one and grow into the saints that our Lord Jesus wants us to be so as we seek to wage this battle and to grow in our marriages, I want to offer to you, and you may want to pass on to others, three practical suggestions that may be very important as we seek to grow and to live out marriage as our Lord Jesus wants it to be. The first, is to remember that your spouse and your children are not yours. They are God's. From, from this fundamental knowledge, I think, springs all that makes Christian marriage truly distinctive. For it shares plenty with regular marriage, but Christian marriage recognizes that spouse and children are not simply yours, but they are God's. Consider your spouse or each of your children. They, their soul was personally, individually created by God in his image, in his likeness, and they are immortal. There will never be a time in which they do not exist. 
with them at all times is a guardian angel, this noble creature sent by God to guide and to guard them. And if they are baptized in Christ, they have thereby been adopted as a son or daughter of God. And Christ has called them to a vocation to grow living in him, becoming a saint. And if they say yes and cooperate with that, one day they will be a creature so glorious that if you could see them now as they will be then, you would be tempted to worship them. This is who your spouse is. This is who your child is. This also is who you are. They're not simply a combination of their functions in your life, what they do for you or what kind of project you would want to make them. They are gods. And so your marriage, your family, is a family of sons and daughters of God. It is a community of the disciples of Christ. To remember that becomes the root of so much. Your spouse and your children are not yours, not fully. They are God's. Secondly, within your marriage, don't be a roadblock. And we can think of this in two ways. One, the case where one person is a roadblock where I might be talking to someone who's talking about difficulties in marriage, and as I suggest different steps they might take, the response becomes, well, my spouse says there is no problem, and my spouse will do nothing, will not go to a marriage enrichment weekend, will not talk to a priest, will not talk to a counselor. At that point, what can they do? Don't be a roadblock by yourself. If your spouse has talked to you and you in the past have said, no, there's no problem, we don't need to do anything, go back to them and say, let's work on this. I want to be open and not a roadblock. But roadblocks can be two. It can be possible for both spouses to settle into a sort of inertia, not happy with the way things are, but not having the courage to try to change them and make them better. It seems that very often, Part of this inertia is not talking. I don't mean complete silence, but I mean not talking beyond the practical day-to-day -day steps to have a real, focused, long conversation. When that happens, when spouses are ready to move beyond that inertia and talk deeply, how often the problems begin to be resolved because the spouses have that love and they have that capacity. You have that capacity to work things out and to grow. If communication patterns are toxic, maybe you'll need a third party. But so often, the two of you already have it. All you need to do is work together. So don't be a roadblock, not by yourself or not together. Have confidence in what Christ wants to do through you and in your marriage. The third piece of advice would be to do what you did at first. Sometimes if things have cooled or become distant, a good piece of advice can be to reflect back to what were you doing when you fell in love in the first place? Or what did you do together during that period of courtship before you married? 
often these are things done in the past not being done now. Go back and do them again. And even better, while you do so, read the book The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Because this will give a structure that will probably reveal something that was going on at the time. This author prevents presents five different ways that human beings show love to each other, the point being that each person normally, strongly prefers one or two of those ways over the others. Very often a husband and wife may have different love languages. And during that early period when you fell in love and when you were courting, very often by dumb luck, you were showing your spouse love in their love language. You didn't know it, and so you stopped doing it. Now, now you can learn what you were doing and do it with understanding and intentionally and discover what this author describes where once both of you are receiving love in your love language your love tank is full rather than empty and what a difference that makes these would be three practical suggestions remember your spouse and your children are not yours but god's don't be a roadblock and do what you did at first. And for ourselves and for those around us, we can embrace these and pass them on with hope. Because marriage, we remember, has been compared to the relationship between Christ and his church. And Christ, looking upon the creation which he had made and so loved, but suffering so much with the infection of sin, did not follow the advice so many of us would want to give him. Why don't you just go ahead and end the evildoers? Well, that would be all of us. But he said, no, I can do something different. I can repair this damage. I can heal this wound. I can save them. I can remake them. And I'm willing to lower myself and to pour out everything in me to do it. And he did. And so we come to Mass. Our Lord Jesus might be the most romantic person who ever lived. And if he wants to make our marriages images and sources of love, well, then we can have hope that he will do that indeed. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.